0: I think I got everything. So this month, the month of love, we've talked about St. Valentine. We've talked about what is love. And we talked about how God is love, right? We read here in 1 uh, John about that. We've talked about it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We saw this verse here where John, the d- disciple, is saying, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So as we started talking about what is love, we had to say, well, what is God? Because God is love. And that's kind of hard for us to comprehend, because in the world, we're taught that love is lust, right? That you... you, that love is something totally different than what it's truly meant to be. And We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where it talks about love is patient, love is kind, and, and how these are all qualities of God. So we keep going back to then, well, what is God, right? Because in the Old Testament, he just said, I am that I am. And they didn't have this concept. They didn't have a name. They couldn't have any way to describe him. And in the Old Testament says God is indescribable. So when the Messiah was promised and God came down to earth to save us in in human form, Jesus begins to describe who God is in, in different ways, right? He begins to do something that the Jewish people have never heard of. It was blasphemous to them by saying, God is our Father. When you pray to God, say, our Father, they're like, He's our father too, right? Like we've seen enough miracles from you that we get that you're saying that he's your father, right? And we know that God sent his son to the world and it's Jesus, but he's our father. And what is he doing? He's starting to describe who this God is, who this love is in a way that human minds can understand. And, you know, for reality, for all of us that have had bad earthly fathers, we don't associate the word father with something good. We just don't, right? It's kind of like, you know, people who have had a bad experience with a dog when they were little, like if a German shepherd came and like bit you in the face when you were little, you might not associate dogs as man's best friend. You might associate dogs as something that hurts you and you're afraid of them. So as humans, we do sometimes associate that, but the reality is as a description, as an understanding of who God is, he used that to try to help us. And we looked at the egg. I don't know, I didn't specifically say, but I don't know if she still has, she knows me. Yeah, she knows me well enough to know. So when we looked at the egg, you know, as we were trying to understand this, and I had, I had it actually with me that first week. I said, what is this? And we said it was an egg yolk, right? We don't say the egg yolk is an egg. We say it's the yolk of the egg. Same thing with the egg white or with the egg shell. are three distinct different parts, but when you put it all together, it's an egg. And so as Jesus is trying to describe to us who God is in a way that our human minds can understand an indescribable God, he is saying there is Father God, Son of God, Holy Spirit of God. And he breaks down this complex God into three different ways for us to understand. So last week we talked about Jesus, right, and how Jesus came and how his goal was to continue to point us to a relationship with a loving God and we looked at how we can pray to the Father God, we, we looked at Jesus, and, and if any of you missed these and you really wanna go back, you can go back on our Facebook page and look at them. They're also uploaded onto our YouTube page, there's blogs, there's all kinds of ways you can hear this again if you want. But today, I wanted to talk about our loving Father, And again, for some of you that may have had bad father experiences, this is hard for you to wrap around, right? That's why we relate better to Jesus, because we can at least think of a good, you know, brother, big brother, or a man in our life, or somebody that, like, you know, kind of can seem like Jesus. But the father part sometimes is hard. So I want you to try today to recognize that this is not like an earthly father. This is... This is the epitome of what a father should be like. It's what we desired if we had a bad father. We wish he would have been like more loving, more protective, more wonderful in that sense. So Jesus was sent to redeem us right, and to change our relationship with God into more of an intimate one by going to the cross and dying for our sins, by us believing in Jesus. Now we can stand before God redeemed we call it being sanctified we're we're righteous and you know people will say well I'm not righteous Mary I'm still struggling with something we know that's called iniquity iniquity are the sins you're still struggling with that you haven't quite kicked right some of us might say yeah I used to struggle with gossip back when I was a teenager I used to gossip all the time but I've I've you know been able to stop doing that so that was a sin I used to do but I'm not struggling with it now whereas other people might say I still struggle with that I still struggle with maybe lying or or shoplifting or, or falling into my addictions, or I still struggle with that. Does that mean that because I'm still struggling with something, I can't stand before God? And that's where people were at in the Old Testament. They were told not to sin, but they still struggled with things, and so they never felt worthy enough to go into God's presence. So that's why when we read in Isaiah, Jesus said, you know, it said that Jesus would come. He would not only come to redeem us from our sins, our trespasses, those one-time things we do, but also our, from our iniquities, the things we're still struggling with. So now, when we believe in Jesus, when we stand before God, we're not righteous because we're good and we do good things. We're righteous because of what He did, and we believe and we receive that righteousness, okay? So he said, okay, now that you have that, you have salvation when you die, but you need to still have life to the full while you're here on earth. But part of that full life and being able to be in a relationship with a father means that you need to understand that love and that God loves you. So we see here in Romans, it talks about this love that we have because of what Jesus did and this love we can now have with God. We're going to go to Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, it starts here in verse 31. And it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? Because he's talking about all these different struggles and things that were going on. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also go along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? I love this. See, we always think that God condemns us, don't we? I mean, that's that's what I thought when I was a kid growing up in church. I'm condemned because I'm a sinner. But what we find is that God loves us and he redeems us. See, Satan goes, and he, and I remember this visual when I was little, hearing about how Satan is like a seagull that's flying around the beach, and you're standing there, and he poops on you, or he vomits on you. I remember this image of like, imagine like a dog vomiting on you, you know, you got your little puppy in your hand, and he vomits all over you, or maybe he poops on you. Would you just walk around with that on your shirt? Like if I'm at the beach and a bird poops in my hair and I got this big white, yucky, birdie poopy that stinks in my hair, would I just be like, oh, I must have deserved it. And all the people on the beach, lucky picked me. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to have to walk around with that bird poop on my hair. Look at the shame. Everybody can look at me and see the shame. Would I do that? <laughs> if you think I do that, you don't know me very well. I'd be like, ah! Give me some water get it out of my hair Right, I would clean it off A dog puked in my lap I'd be like I am taking a shower Let me go clean this up Put the dog outside They'd Give the dog some medicine, right? But I wouldn't stay with the mess on me I would get it off And see when Satan tries to condemn us And remind us of that mess He's trying to vomit on us And we get to just say, in the name of Jesus, clean me. And it gets wiped right off. He changes it. He he redeems us. And we don't have to stand there with that condemnation. He's saying, who then condemns us? It's not God. He says here then, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of sword? In verse 37 it says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, that's the thing. Sometimes we don't feel like conquerors. We feel stuck in that condemnation. You're like, Mary, how do I become a conqueror? Well, you have to read it. It says, through Christ who loved us. So number one, are you going to God? Are you believing what Christ did for you? And number two, do you receive and accept the fact that he loves you? Or do you think you're unworthy of that love? Verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a big list. I mean, I could break that down. Like, really? Like, nothing... He basically is trying to say, that nothing can separate you from Christ's love. Satan might try to convince you, oh, you did that, now he doesn't love you. Oh, you did that, now he can't redeem you. Oh, he, you know what I mean? Doesn't he do that? He tries to tell us that. But the bottom line is, he's saying nothing can actually do it. You can believe it, right? Like, I can believe, right, that my husband's the strongest person in the world, and he can lift the Statue of Liberty all by himself with his pinky, I can believe that, but that wouldn't be reality. When we went there to visit, he didn't even try, right? I mean, this huge thing, like, you know, he's just like, no. But see, Satan will try to get us to believe things that are not true. A person can believe that, but it doesn't mean it's true. So what beliefs do we have in our head that separate us from the love of Christ? What separates us to just receive his love? I'll, I'll say it. Probably the number one thing is ignorance. You don't even know what to do with that love. What do I do with that love, Mary? How do I receive his love? You're telling me God loves me. Okay, that sounds nice, but what does that mean? Right? I mean, like, what do you, what do, you do with that? You know, it's, it's kind of like when you're in high school and somebody comes to you and says, oh, Joey loves you. Okay, well, now What? Well, if you were in high school and you heard that, and you kind of liked Joey back, maybe you'd go hang out where Joey goes and hangs out. Maybe you'd talk to Joey. Maybe you'd find out what Joey likes, and you'd kind of try to do that, wouldn't you, right? If you were in high school, and you know that this guy you got a crush on, loves you, you've been told this, you would make some effort to get closer to Joey. So when we are told that Christ loves us, and nothing can separate us from that love, that God loves us, he loved us so much, he sent Christ and Jesus, you would think that we would begin to make an effort to get to know him, to begin to find out, well, okay, now what? Now what? What I really want us to look at today is this great, great, great passage here. And it's in Luke chapter 15. We're going to stay here for a little while. In Luke chapter 15, you see a couple different groups of people. You have God in the flesh who's come to explain to us who he is and what he wants to restore in our lives. And then you have religious people who have been studying the scriptures of their day, which we know as the Old Testament. And, and they believe that the only way to God is to follow rules, and the people that don't follow them the best are just cursed, and we shouldn't hang out with them, and they're worthless. And then you have these people who feel like they're worthless because of what the religious people have said to them. So you've got, you got Jesus, God in the flesh, trying to show the, the world how much God loves both groups. And you've got... The people who feel like I've screwed up and I've ruined my life, and you got the people who have also screwed up but deny it and just think they're holier than thou because they try to follow most of the rules, right? We've, we've already there's a, there's a whole story where Jesus is with the Pharisees and says, Who's, whoever's never sinned can throw a stone, and not one of them can throw the stone. So we know that they've sinned. They, they don't believe that they're sin-free, but they believe that because they're trying a little bit harder than this other group that they're holier than thou, okay? So we have what we call the Pharisees, the religious scholars, and then we have this other group that they call the sinners and the tax collectors. That's a whole nother story, but the tax collectors were even worse than sinners, okay? All right, so this is the story. This is where we're at. We're in chapter 15 of Luke, verse one. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What's the reality? God welcomes all people. And there, God is in the flesh, right, welcoming everybody. So then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls to his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Hmm. First thing he does to try to make everybody understand the love of God is to relate it to the love of animals. These innocent animals. We don't really have sheep. We, um, in our culture, we just don't. Everybody doesn't have sheep. The Jewish people, they were sheep herders, so they understood this. I don't know if you've ever seen like baby goats or like baby lambs and stuff when they're little. We've gone to like little roadside places where they have them out and you can feed them and stuff and. I have pictures of these like little goats, baby goats, like in the laps of my children, like sucking on their earlobes and like playing with them. And I tell you what, when they're little and cute like that, they are, they're just adorable, right? Like you would understand why they would understand the love of this animal. But most of us have dogs. So a modern day version of this would be, if you had nine dogs or 10 dogs, and one of them ran away from home, wouldn't you leave your other dog safe in your house and go drive in your car and look around till you found your dog? And when you found that dog, wouldn't you call all your friends and neighbors and say, I found my dog! Wouldn't you do that? If you've I mean, you already posted on Facebook, look for my dog, my dog is gone. You don't say, oh, I got nine more at home. That one's going to have to fend for itself. I hope the coyote doesn't get it. We have coyotes out where we are. No, you look for your dog, don't you? And he's saying, like, do you understand, as a human being, the love you have for an innocent animal? That's how, as God, I I look at all people, even the one that you think isn't worthy of my to be in my presence, to talk to me. I love him just as much as you would love an animal. But he thought, yeah, you know what? I know mankind. And some of y'all, you don't even care for animals. You don't even get it. But I know what you like. I know what means the most to you. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. He's going, for those of you who love your money more than people. (laughs) For those of you who love your money more than animals. For those of you that can understand the love of money. Let's talk about that. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one who's a sinner who repents. What's funny is I normally use the example for this one, the modern-day example of if you had $1,000 and $1,000 bills, right? And you open the window and the wind blows and all of a sudden you go to pick them up and you only can find $900. Wouldn't you sweep and look underneath the couch and get down on your hands and knees and look and look until you found that other $100 bill? Wouldn't you do that? Most of us would do that. But the Lord reminded me, my phone's on. <laughs> he said, actually, Mary, the modern day equivalent of that is if you have an iPhone that you just spent how much on and you misplace it in church, don't you tell everybody, look for my phone. And don't you retrace your steps. And don't you look and look and look. And when you finally found it, you say, look, I found my phone. Has anybody lost their phone? Did any of you just stop looking and just say, oh, well. Did any of you ever just stop looking for something as valuable as your phone and just say, I'll just go to the store and buy a new one? I have never done that. I have never done that. Or how about some of you that have your remote control to your TV? Has any of you ever misplaced the remote and said, oh, well, I'll just go to bed. I'll just unplug the TV, and I just won't watch TV for the rest of my life. I can't find the remote. I guarantee, y'all, maybe you've done it with the phone. Maybe you got somebody gave you a cheap phone, and you're like, whatever, I'll just go get another phone. But I tell you, you didn't do it with your TV remote, did you? You looked, because you know it's there. You know it's, it's in the seat cushions. I mean... I, one time, the kids down in the playroom had little, you know, do not even the good TV anymore, right? They get the leftovers. And they, I couldn't find that remote. You know what I had to do? I had to turn the couch upside down and cut that little mesh they put on the bottom. And look, and I found the phone. I found a bunch of other stuff too. I found probably like $1.50 and quarters. I found some Cheetos, didn't eat those, but the dog did. You know, you, 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 when you start looking for stuff, you'd be surprised what you find, right? But we don't stop looking for something that is of value. And God says, I love you so much that I will never stop my pursuit of you. Because I want to be in relationship with you. So he finally says in a way for us to understand who this loving father is. In verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach and the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, And was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. So now Jesus is saying to them all, maybe the story about the animals didn't do it for you. Maybe the story about the money didn't do it for you. But think about a man with his son. What I find interesting about this parable is the younger son, when he took off and no longer wanted to be in relationship with his father, didn't stop being the son. See, I've said this to you before. Many of you can receive salvation and not be in relationship with Father God. It doesn't change the fact that you are now the son, your daughter of God, and you have those rights. This whole time, that younger son had the rights to be in that house, had the right to wear that ring, had the right to put on that robe, had the right to have sandals on his feet. He had the right to have shelter. He had the right to be had of food and provision for him he chose to walk away from a relationship with his father. He took what his father had poured into him and thought, I can go use this and do it on my own. And what he found is that what he took from his father and that relationship he had when he was young sustained him for a while. But eventually it wasn't enough. And we do that. A lot of us, we say, I talk to people, I was raised in the church, Mary. I I knew about Jesus. My grandma prayed for me. I was baptized. I was confirmed. And then they take that knowledge of who God is, and they never set foot back in a church again. They don't really pray again. They don't really have a relationship with God again. And they think that that's enough to sustain them. And eventually, they begin to starve. Now, we're not doing it physically, but we're doing it with our spirit, with our soul, aren't we? And depression sets in. Addiction sets in. All these other things, these life circumstances begin to happen to us, and we get to a point where we feel hollow inside, and we feel like, like I'm all alone. And the Father is always standing there watching. See, this, and I've said this to you guys so many times before, God is a gentleman. See, Satan is not. He will come to you in the middle of a random day and force his thoughts on you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been? You're, like, you're like in the movies, watching some random movie, and all of a sudden some temptation pops in your head. It has nothing to do with what you're even doing. You're like, where the hell did that come from? Can I say that in church? Can I say that? Can you be like, what is going on? Where did that come from? That's coming literally from the hell of Satan. Satan is not in the pit of hell, and he is putting hell in your mind. And he's not a gentleman. He is going to tempt you wherever you might be, and he's going to try to get you to do these things. See, God is a gentleman, and God is sitting back saying, just ask me to help you. Ask me. And this father was watching. When is he going to come back? When is he going to come back? When he comes back, I can bless him. When he wants to be in a relationship with me, I can bless him. But he chose to walk away, so I'm letting him go do that. So what's interesting is when the father sees that son son coming, and he's a long way off, but what's happened? He knows the intention of the heart of the son is to come. He runs to him. See, when your intention to be back with God all of a sudden changes, and you're like, okay, I don't even know where to begin. I've had people testimony say that. They say, in my heart, I knew, Mary, that I needed to be back in a relationship with God. I didn't even know where to begin. I just began thinking about it, and all of a sudden, my Aunt Susie out of the blue calls me up and invites me to church. What is that? It's that father seeing from a long way off, like, you're coming. You're coming. Let's go. And when he comes and he tells him, this is how I feel. This is the condemnation I feel. I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. He's like, Psh, you never stopped being my son right? You were dead to me because you weren't here. You didn't want to be in a relationship to me. But now you're alive again. You're born again. We talk about that as Christians. As we begin to accept that, invite him back into our lives, we get to be born again. We get to have this new chance of being his child. And what does he offer him? He offers him that robe. What's interesting is it doesn't say, he said to the servants, go and give him a shower and clean him up and then put this robe on him. No, it says, quick, 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 hurry up go grab a robe, let's get it on him. I don't even want him to walk into the house with them seeing the filth and the dirt that he's bringing with him. We'll cover him up. That's what he, Christ does with us. He covers us. He covers us. And of course, in the spiritual sense, then we become cleansed because his righteousness goes on us. And then he says, I'm going to put my ring on your finger. And of those days, the ring, the family crest, that means he has the authority to use the family name. See, we get that. This is a parable of what we get. When we accept Christ, we get to put his righteousness on us, and it covers up all the filth that's underneath. And then we get to have the family ring, the family crest. We get to use the name, and we get to walk with the authority of it, just like the Son gets. And that's the name of Jesus. That's why I always tell you, when you pray, do what Jesus said. Pray to our Father in my name, in the name of Jesus. And with that name, the family name, the demons have to listen. The demons have to go. The angels have to come and help. Why? Because we get to use the name of Christ. And he said, Put sandals on this feet. See, sandals help us walk in peace. If you didn't have shoes on your feet and you walked out of here, you'd feel every pebble, you'd feel every little bit of glass you'd feel if it was cold out there versus if it's warmer in here you'd feel you would be able to walk in peace because you're constantly being like oh pebble oh glass oh cold oh when we put on the sandals of god we can walk across glass we can walk across you know fire we can walk across cold snow and ice and we it doesn't affect us wouldn't that be nice if, i mean most of us we get to the point of okay i cover up my t- i know i'm saved because i got his robe on and most, most of us okay i pray in the name of jesus and i know the authority i don't get to use it that often because i don't quite get it It kind of scares me thinking like there's a demon tempting me i can just say go in the name of jesus but i've got that ring on but most of us <laughs> we kicked off the sandals long ago and everything we walk on we feel it and we complain about it and we talk about it and oh god i got this going on i got this going on i got this going on and you don't walk in peace when you walk in with the peace, when you put those sandals on, man, Satan can throw out jacks and you just walk over it. Man, it's lumpy over here. I wonder what's going on. You keep on going. Oh man, it's icy over here, but you don't feel it because you got your sandals on. You got your feet covered. Peace, that's amazing. This whole sermon isn't about what these things are, but I had to remind you. I'm sorry. I just, It's there. I got to remind you. Because this is it. He's saying, I love you, I'm gonna send Jesus to explain it to you. Here I am, come be in relationship with me. Be like that younger son who comes to himself and says, I'm gonna go and be in the presence of my father and look what the father offers us. How do I receive his love? I put that robe on and I tell Satan when he comes and tries to put hellish thoughts in my mind, no, I am forgiven, I am made clean. I can use that ring, that name of authority and say go in the name of Jesus, leave me alone. I can put on those shoes of peace, and I can say, yep, 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 there might be a storm all around me, but God is with me, and he is good. That's part of it. But here's the thing. See, some of us relate to that, but some more of us, I'll be one of them. I I related to the Pharisees. I grew up in the church. I was baptized by the time I was three. I, I loved the Lord. I did my best. I was still a sinner. I mean, I could tell you stories. Maybe one day you come over and we'll have a bonfire, and I'll tell you some stories, but I'm not saying I was perfect, but I'm telling you what, I thought I was a Pharisee, I thought I was good, right, I'm, I did prayer on the flagpole, I did Bible studies at church, at, at school, and I would teach Sunday school at church as well, and, and the kids in high school began calling me Sister Mary, oh, I hated that, I'm like, I'm not Catholic, you know, because I thought they were referring to me as, I'm going to grow up and become a nun, you know, I'm like, no. I was a pretty good-looking girl back then, but the boys didn't ask me out. No, you didn't ask Sister Mary out because nuns, they wouldn't get married. That's really, it was bummed me out, you know. Like, seriously? So I was a Pharisee. I'm like the older brother. I didn't run off. I didn't run off. I was there. I'm working hard. I'm doing Bible study. I'm doing all this stuff. What do you mean you're going to celebrate when somebody comes in, right? Because it goes on, this whole passage. Jesus didn't stop talking, you know. He's right here at... Verse 22, it says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. So they began to celebrate. But meanwhile, Oh, there's, oh, you know, that's like in the movie. And they cut that scene, and they go in the back room, and something's going on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called out to one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your father, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf for him because he has come back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. How many of us are angry and think that God's not doing the right way? And here, Father, God pleads with us. He pleads with us. He pleaded with him. Look, the son answered, right? Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? See, this is the attitude of the Pharisees. So Jesus is standing there, and he is talking to these sinners. And the Pharisees come up and say, Don't waste your time with them. Talk to us. We've been slaving for God for years. We did everything he's ever asked. We know the law. We preach the law. We deserve this touch from God. Why are you wasting your time with them? Some of you might relate with that. I think most of us are a little more honest than the Pharisees of that day where we realize we're more like the lost son who kind of goes off and does our own thing sometimes, right? But let's, let's be real. He's talking to both groups. Let's talk about that. This older son says, Hey, what about me? What about me? You, don't, you never give me a party. It's It's interesting is the father answers him. Because he loved both. His love for both was the same and was equal. He's just having a celebration because this one's choosing to be back in relationship with him. But his love for his older son has always been there, has never changed. But his older son didn't know how to receive that love. He didn't view his father as a loving father who was allowing him to work in this, in this household, which ultimately would be the oldest brothers, because in that culture, the oldest brother would get the property and the home, because he would have to care for any widowed, the widowed mother or the any sisters that were unmarried. The younger son would just get a set amount of wealth and could choose to work with the brother and have that shelter and that home if he wanted to. But see, this, this older brother, when he says he divided it between the two, he, he gave the older brother that estate. He gave that older brother all this stuff. But the brother didn't receive that love. The brother didn't receive what was given to him. Instead, the brother decided that I must just be God's slave, the father's slave, that I'm just here and I have to obey because that's what I have to do. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. What is he saying? You wanted a young goat to have a party with your friends? Everything I have is yours. Why didn't you just take it? Why didn't you just say, I want to have a party with my friends. I'm going to go have a goat and get some wine out of the cellar. The father would have been like, it's yours. Everything I have is yours. I already divided it out. Your brother got what was coming to him, and this is yours. But see, because we don't view ourselves as as the son, instead as the slave, the slave doesn't feel like he has the right to say, I want a fattened goat to have a party. So we don't ask. Remember I going back to God's a gentleman? You have to ask. Just like he let the younger son choose when to come back, and when he chose to come back, then God blessed him. The older son who was there just slaved away in his mind's eye, but the father's like, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. So many times I talk to people, I remember talking to somebody one time, and I said, how is God going to bless you in this situation? And they're like, bless? God won't bless me. And I'm like, why not? Well, I sinned 15 years ago. I'm like, in a bad sin, you know, I knew they told me what it was. I did this really bad thing 15 years ago, and God can't bless me today. I'm like... Where do you, why do you believe that? That's not biblical. For whatever reason, this older son viewed himself through skewed eyes. My son, the father, said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he was found. See, Jesus is telling this parable to two groups of people, to those that are deemed sinners and tax collectors, That the Pharisees see are unworthy and he's saying, look, this is like a younger son who runs off. When he comes back, God welcomes him with open arms because he loves him. But you Pharisees who think that it's not fair, the Father loves you already. You had access to all of this. You knew the scriptures. You knew the Messiah was coming. You knew that God was going to come down and and pour out his spirit upon all flesh and was going to heal people. And there was going to be all these miracles inside you're the older brother that had access to all of this, and you're just sitting here mad. You're mad at the party. You're sitting outside, and you refuse to join in because you're not taking what I gave you, and you're applying it and being blessed because of it. It's, I love this parable. It's great when you really break it down and look at it. But here God is in flesh form, Jesus. And he is saying, whether you feel like you're not worthy or whether you're mad and you think I'm not giving it to you, both of you are my sons. Both of you are my children. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is receive that love. All you have to do is be in a relationship. How many of us are like the oldest brother where we feel like we've been in a relationship with God? We feel like we've gone to church every Sunday. We feel like we pray. Maybe we don't read our Bible every day, but we're here, and we still are mad because God's not blessing us. It's time to ask. How you receive that love, how you become a child, is you ask. It's ironic, but I have an older son and a younger son. And, and, and because of our circumstances when our, my kids were little, when Matthew was little, I was a single mom for a long time. I didn't have a lot of money, didn't, didn't you know, get him lavish things. because I didn't have it. But Wesley, right, he, he's born in where we have a little bit more. And so I tell you what. When they ask me for Christmas presents, I promise you my younger son has no abandonment to say, I want this, and I want that, and he might not get it. He knows he probably won't, because I'm always teaching him to, you know, earn some money and save up. But he'll ask, and I get him some nice things. But my oldest son, he has a hard time asking. Even this last Christmas, I'm like, what do you want? He's like, oh, maybe a little end table right? And my, old, and my youngest son, he's like, I want this. And I, want, I mean, his list was like this long. How many of us feel like we're not worthy to ask him? I am here to tell you to tell you that Father God wants you to ask. Now, you might not get it all. Wesley doesn't get everything he asked for. But at least I have more ideas and I go shopping and I end up getting him these things because he asked. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, God is indescribable. He is love. And I want you to understand that as a child who wouldn't be ashamed to ask a parent, I want you to be like that with him. There's other, all these other verses, right, where it says you have not because you ask not, and, and there's this passage about praying and Luke and, and, and all these different places. It talks about we need to learn how to ask. I'm going to end here real quick in John chapter 16, starting in Verse 22. Jesus, he's just, he's, they had the last supper, he washed the feet, he's talking to them before he goes to the cross. He's about ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and be arrested. He's trying to explain to them, he really wants them to get it. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. How do you get the more abundantly part? You get in a relationship with the Father God. God is here, he loves you. So in John chapter 16, starting in verse 22, he says, So with you, now is your time of grief right you're going to watch me be crucified you're going to be sad okay but i will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy when he rises from the dead and they get to see him in that day you will no longer ask me anything very truly i tell you my father will give you whatever you ask in my name until now you have not asked for anything in my name ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete he's saying look once I rise again from the cross, that blood is going to cover you, and you now have permission, and you're adopted in the family God. You can now ask the Father God, and you just use the family name, which the name, the earthly name that we understand of the God that came down in human flesh is Jesus. We still don't have a name for God. Remember I talked about that, that whole, like, I am that I am? What Jesus left us with is when you make disciples— pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He just gives us the description of who God is. But he says, when you pray to the Father, part of God, the part of the God that loves you and will do anything for you, use the family name, which we understand is Jesus, because that's the earthly part of God that came down for us. He says, ask the Father in my name, and he will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name, Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but you will ask plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. He's saying, you're not talking to me. And I go knock on the daddy's door and say, hey, Dad, Joey wants this. You're talking directly to him. See, before they didn't think they could go directly to God. Only the priests, once a year, could go in the presence of God. Jesus is saying, no, because of what I'm doing on the cross, because if you believe and you use my name, you can talk directly now to God. The Father will love you, and this is how I'm trying to help you understand who God is. In that day, you will not ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from the father I came from the father and entered the world now I'm leaving the world and going back to the father then Jesus disciples said now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech now we can see that you know all things and that you do not need to have anyone ask you questions this makes us believe that you came from God. Do you believe? Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home and you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my father is with me. And of course he's talking about when he was on the cross, the only person that walked up to talk to him was John and everybody else ran because they were afraid they'd be crucified as well. He says, though, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm going to pray for all of you. This has been like a really, it's hard for our human minds to wrap around who God is and that God is love, especially when we have these preconceived notions of what love is. But the bottom line I want you to get today is that the part of God that he wants us to connect with the most, why God came down in human form as Jesus was so that we could have this greater understanding of who the Father is. And now, because of what Christ did on the cross, we know we're clean and we can go to his presence and we are using the name of Jesus and we can ask him for anything. Let's pray. Father God, help us to understand this. Help our spirits and our souls be healed from anything in the past that has wounded us or tried to separate us from your love, from understanding it, because your word says nothing will separate us. So we're asking you right now to break, break anything that has tried to come between us and your love and your understanding who you are and, and feeling that we're unworthy. We just break that off of our lives right now in the name of Jesus. May your word be true in our life. Let nothing separate us from your love. Help us this week fall more and more in love with you. Help us to pray and ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to intercede in our lives. Help us to surrender parts of our lives that we've been holding on to, that we worry about, that we lay in bed and think about, that we think that there's nothing can change, nothing can happen. Help us to give it over to you. Help us. Help us receive your love, just like we would fall in love with somebody when we were younger and get to know them and want to spend time with us Help us to spend time with you. Help us to read your word and to understand it and to apply your love to our life. Show us. We love you and we honor you. And in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I really hope you guys are able to come tonight for Steel Roots and um, get to enjoy an evening with Eric. And the Blessing Shop is open and we will see you all next week. Ladies, hopefully we'll see you Wednesday for the women's meeting. Thank you. God bless.